0: You. Thank you, guys. You did a great job. Appreciate it. If you will, let's take, uh, let's take the and turn over in the Word of God. Tonight, we're going to go over Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Let me find my spot here. I want to say thank you to all those that came out uh, and were able to be with us last night at the Light for the Lost uh, banquet. Uh, I will. I appreciate guys that got in, and Liz helped us set up, and and uh, uh, the guys got in and fried the fish. We had more fish than you could shake a stick at. I'm telling you, and uh, had to send fish home. But I am pleased to announce that Light for the Lost Missions and Endeavors for the Men's Ministry, uh, equipping our 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 missionaries with the well needed tools that they need. We raised a record 20. Three thousand dollars last night in the in in our Greenville section. Uh, and eleven of that came from Crossroads. So I just want to say thank you for your commitment. Amen. Amen. I'm so so thankful because if we uh, continue to put what's what God puts first, He'll take care of the business. Amen. I heard a statement. You'll hear me say this again, but it was just a profound statement. You know how you kill a vision. You stop the provision. If you stop the provision, you'll stop the vision. Why do you think there's such a sh- chokehold in these last days on resources and finances? God needs ready access to our heart. He's got to have ready access to our heart. If you want to stop a vision, just cut off the provision. So let's look here in the Word of the Lord, and I want to. I just want to do a quick recap as we're going to continue with uh, the Eden Project, as it started last week. But uh, we see that in Genesis 2 and 8, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. There he put man whom he had formed. We saw there, and we started out last week, and I'm I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the recap. But when we look at Eden, what we understand is that that's still the mission of God. And Eden literally means the garden home of man and woman, but it wasn't just the garden home of man and woman, it was also the, the home of God on earth. And so when we see, we see Eden, we understand that God wants to continue Eden, and he carried that on in the, what we saw in the tabernacle. It was by many theologians, they looked at the tabernacle as being a mini-Eden. So many similarities when it came to Eden. But ultimately, we understand that God wants to further his kingdom through who? Us, the church. And the mandate's still the same. It's having the dwelling place of God on earth. The dwelling place of God on earth. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Man's purpose in the garden was to bear the image of God, to cultivate Eden. In other words, continue to expand the dwelling place of God throughout the entirety of the world, and also was to commune with God, to walk with the Lord, to know God. How can you know somebody you don't spend time with? How can you you understand somebody that you don't spend any time with? So let me encourage you, if there's ever a day you need to get into the Word, it's today. Amen? So, But what we found is that as we talked last week, we talked about dwellings, doors, and arcs, dwellings, doors, and arcs. We saw that God's dwelling, that his desire is to dwell with you on earth. I mean, he loved you so much that he refused to live without you. So he gave an opportunity that we could live together with God on earth. But we, we saw there that in the dwellings there that we talked about, and I just, just mentioned. Tonight, I want to zero in uh, a little closer, and i want to talk about the ark. We spent a lot of time on the dwelling last week. I want to spend tonight on the ark, and next week we'll talk about the door, the Lord willing. But as you look here, I want to go to our text tonight. Let's look here in Hebrews, the the ninth chapter. Hebrews, the ninth chapter. And I want to read uh, the first five verses of Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. So if you've got your devices, pull them out, or or um, uh, or your Bibles, pull them out. says, then indeed even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. So here the author of Hebrews is referring back to the temple and the the tabernacle. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. This is what I I want you to see here in verse 4 which had the golden censer, the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid on all sides with gold in which were the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak in detail. But I want to look here at the Ark. It's interesting. It's interesting that God makes an acacia wood box, if you will, 45 inches by, 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 by 27 by 27. But he makes an acacia wood box, and he overlays it with pure gold. We talked about last week the, the mercy seat, and we discovered what the real mercy seat was. As we saw that the entrance into Eden was cut off, and there was a guard standing there, who turned on, the sword turned on all four sides, not allowing man back into the garden. There was an angel, a cherubim that was standing there, holding guard. And then we saw that imagery in the in the tabernacle, where the, the cherubim is is literally just keeping guard of the presence of the Lord, of the of the holies of holies, as he's, as the cherubims are woven into the veil that separates the holies of holies, and the sanctuary. But there was still access, just very limited access. So the high priest would go in once a year at atonement, but it was an indication that God's desire was still the same, that he dwell in communion with man. And then we saw ultimately when the veil was torn in the temple, a more permanent structure that was built besides the tabernacle, there was the temple. The veil was torn in two at what event? The crucifixion of Christ. Thus declaring to humanity, you now have access through the shed blood of Jesus Christ to the holies of holies. Amen. And then we discover the mercy seat is whenever they went to the tomb, when the stone was rolled away, there were what beings were sitting there at the foot of, and at the head, where Jesus' blood body, where his where he was where he was laying, it was two angels. That's the true mercy seat. That's the entrance into heaven. In Exodus twenty five and twenty two, the Lord said, "That's where I will meet with you at the mercy seat." <laughs> People are always wanting to meet with God, but you got to go to the mercy seat. Where's the mercy seat? The mercy seat's the grave. We, we've spent a whole lot of time trying to get God to elevate us when we need, what we need to do is die to self so we can live to God. I, there's nothing, the further I get away from my old man, the further I want to get away from him. Andrew was talking about the drug addict husband that she had that was hooked on cocaine and was living a, a, a destructive lifestyle. And to listen to her one day, I was thinking, how sorry I felt for this man. And I thought, wait a minute, I am this man. <laughs> See, I didn't think there was freedom outside of addiction. I thought the cravings would always be stronger than what I was able to overcome. And the truth is, they were stronger than what I was able to overcome. But there came a day where I stopped battling, and I just went to the mercy seat. And at the mercy seat, I said, oh, God, I surrender my life for yours. And in that moment, God entered in, and he helped me to walk out. He wasn't a drug addict. My daddy was a drug addict. My granddaddy was was an alcoholic. I might have been born with it, but I wasn't born again with it. Amen? So I'm, I'm telling you there is freedom in Christ Jesus. There is freedom in Christ Jesus. Stop trying to validate yourself and just die and let God resurrect his spirit inside of you. He's got so much better plans than you. But I want to focus on the ark of the covenant. And it's interesting to me how that we saw the the lid made out of solid gold and then we see the this acacia wood box overlaid with gold. It's got poles running on the side of it but the rings that were cast on it and they were never, ever to be removed. Those poles were to be there permanently. Now, you could pull the poles out, but once you put them in, you're supposed to stay there. So, what's interesting to me is the articles that are inside of it. You ever stop and just thought about if just from the outside looking in, how bizarre that must be? You got this golden pot that's got manna. You've got this almond branch that has been cut off from the tree but yet it, it budded and it's producing fruit and then you've got you've got these tablets written on one side and on the other by the finger of God he wrote it on the front and on the back so you couldn't add something to it it just so it, it's interesting as we look at that but as as we Think about these unusual contents of this piece of what many scholars and theologians would call furnishing. Why do they call it furnishing? It's because there was a mercy seat. There was a place where there was, that was the resting place of God. It was at the bloodstained mercy seat. Every year, the high priest would go in. And he wouldn't go in without blood. He would put an innocent sacrifice, the blood of an innocent sacrifice, the life of the animal. He wouldn't bring the animal in. The animal was crucified on the altar. But the life of the animal, he would take that life of the animal represented by the blood. And he would carry that into the holies of holies. And he would sprinkle the blood on that that mercy seat. And God said, that's where I'll meet with you. I will meet with you right there. That innocent blood and that sacrifice. We have these unusual contents. So tonight, I want to look at the book, the branch, and the bread. I'm going to liken the, the tablets, the commandments to the book. Why? Because they are the outline, they are the outline of the whole Torah, the instruction, the law. So we look at the book, and Jesus. The, the author of Hebrews quotes uh, Psalms 40, and he said, Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of a book. It is written to me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God, and your law is within my heart. I didn't delight to do the will of God until the will of God got into my heart. Amen, until I got a hold of the book. Not just the Bible, but the book got a hold of me. I stopped reading the Bible, and I started letting the Bible read me. And then all of a sudden, my life began to change because I understood. And we'll get deeper into that in just a minute. But I want to say to you that Jesus Christ is the Word. Amen? He, he's, he's, what I mean by that is not as we have the Bible, that is the written Word of God. Jesus is the living expression. He is the the will of the Father. He is the the living expression of God. He is the Word. He was was before any text was ever written on on parchment or paper. He existed before existence. He was there before the beginning. So we have the written, your Bible is not Jesus. It's the written expression of Jesus. It's the written expression of God. But we understand that Jesus is eternal. He's always been and always will be. So we have there the book. So we understand that Jesus not only fulfilled the Word of God, He is the fullness of the Word of God, of the Torah, of the law. Not just fulfilled. See, He didn't just come and check off the boxes. We look to him because he was the fullness. Then we've got Aaron's rod that budded. There was a mutiny that took place in the camp. A little, it wasn't really a coup d'etat because they didn't have an army, but it was, you know what I'm saying? There was an uprising that took place. They're like, we can be the priests just like you can be the priests. No, I said, no, I've got got a plan and there's the tribe that I pulled out that's going to represent the law. They're, they're going to be the teachers of the law. They are separate. All you guys are going to get in land, and I'm not shortchanging them, but they're going to be my priests, the tribe of Levi. And there was a, there was a rebellion that took place. And so the Lord said, well, we're going, to, we're going to resolve this. Go over to those almond branches over there and, and cut them off and put your name on that almond branch, and I want you to lay it down inside the tabernacle in the, in the, in the sanctuary area where the table show showbread and the, the lamps. I want you to set it in there, and I want you to go out and come back tomorrow. So all the tribes, that Reuben, Simeon, Levi, uh, Issachar, all of them, they wrote their name on that, and they went and set those, those branches down in there. And they came back the next day, and there were, there were 11 branches that were dead as a doornail. Wasn't a thing coming off of them. But there was one branch through the night. <laughs> it, the Bible says, is it. let's just read it. I don't think you believe me. It, it is, it, something happened. Now it came to pass on the next day, this is Numbers 17 and 8, that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. And behold, the rod of Aaron, he was from the tribe of Levi, of the house of Levi, had sprouted, it put forth buds, and it had produced blossoms, and it yielded ripe almonds. It went through a whole harvest season just in one single night. I don't know if it was a full 24 hours. I don't know that God needed that much. But what we do know is that something that was dead was connected to something that was not seen and that something that was not seen produced a fruit that came out because the Lord said, this is my priesthood. Now we understand that Jesus said, I am the vine. Come on. Now we've got the golden pot. Are these, are these things a little unusual? You've got, you've got the book, you've got the branch, and now you've got the, the golden pot of manna. We're going to call that the bread. Why? Because they would take the, the, the manna and they would go out and they would make bread with it every day. They would go out and gather a certain rate each day. They would go out and the word manna means what is it? That's what it means. What is it? So the, the dew would fall. And when it would lift, there would be little round, what the Bible describes as coriander seed laying out there. So you can eat as much as you want. You can, you can enjoy all the manic carbs that you can get in you. <laughs> it's not going to mess up your ketosis. <laughs> you can just go and enjoy as much as you can feed upon. But see, you had to go out and you had to gather You had to gather a certain rate, but you can. I don't know if you could eat it like that or not. I don't think that they did because uh, they went in and they started working it. It's not just a matter of going through a reading routine. You got to go out and you got to gather it and you got to work it. You got to let that word begin to work on you and you got to knead the dough and you got to look at it. You got to you got to take it and, and taste it and see how good it is. And when they discovered how good it was, they continued to gather. It was what the Lord had provided for them now Jesus came back at a later time and he said look you guys are fussing and fighting over things you don't even understand you're looking at the law the Torah, the instruction and you're looking for life and I'm sitting right here you're, you're searching I am I am the, f- the fullness of the law I, I am the I am the, the bread of life I am the what is it I'm the what is it. When you, when you go out and you look and you see that what's happening, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. you got the book, the branch, and the bread. I'm going to say this to you, and I, I want you to get this. When you look at the Word of God, you begin to look for Christ in the Word. The ark is a representation of Jesus Christ. He is the Word of God. He is the book, the law, the fulfillment. He is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek because God had a priesthood separated, set aside for himself. It was not the priesthood. Everybody wanted to be the priest, but they couldn't everybody be the priest unless you had the real priest living on the inside of you wasn't coming from the line of the tribe of Levi. It was coming from Melchizedek. So there was a priesthood because God had a plan. He had a plan. He had a plan from the beginning. His plan was to expand Eden. What is Eden? It's the dwelling place of God. How are we going to do this? We're going to do this with with dwellings and doors and arcs. And now we're at the ark. And so we're looking at the ark. And every ark points to the ark, which is Jesus Christ. (laughs) Because ultimately God wanted to see that he is the access point to heaven. In your heart, because he tears the veil of your flesh and opens up, and now you have access to heaven through him. Amen? So what we see in that is this. We see how that that the ark, the first ark we talked about was Noah's ark. There was coming judgment on the world, and so the covenant people entered into the ark. We enter into the ark of Jesus, and he has taken all the punishment and judgment upon himself. And it's only those that refuse to get into Jesus that they will have to suffer the judgment that's coming on the world. See, you can build a boat, but if you don't have any pitch to make the thing float, you got to have the pitch in order for that thing to float. I covered that last week. But then you got the Ark of the Covenant, which had the poles that ran through it, and now we carry the Ark, and now when we carry the Ark, it opens up the avenue into the Promised Land of God. When they stepped foot in the Jordan, the Jordan opened up, and they went from the wilderness. They stepped to the promise. When you come to the mercy seat of God, when you come to the mercy seat of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you surrender yourself to the Lord, what happens in your life? God steps in; He opens up to heaven. Now I have access to heaven, and heaven has access to me. I now have access to heaven, and heaven has access through me. And now we walk in this authority that God has given us because we understand where that authority comes from. It comes from God and not from us. How can we defeat the old man? We defeat the old man with the new man, which is Jesus Christ living in our hearts. This is good news, folks. So you got the, you got the book, the branch, and the bread. you got the tables of stone. you got the, the book. Why is it important for you to read the Word of God? Why is it important for you to meditate, to muse, to get into the book, and to understand? Because if you don't know who God is, you will never know who you are. Jesus said, I came in John 1 and 18. No one has seen God at any time. Speaking of the Father, you hadn't seen him until now (laughs) the only begotten who is the bosom of the father he has declared him that word is exegete is to show is to reveal see you get in we get in our minds that jesus lived every day and he's fighting against sin because he's living in a sin nature i like that (laughs) that's when you make a hard stop (laughs) See, Adam was created perfectly innocent, perfectly innocent. But his innocence was violated when he disobeyed the Word of God. Jesus stepped in. He's perfect. Perfect fellowship and relationship with the Father. And he came to be the example for us. Until we realize he's the example of us. See, the law was there to show us the holiness of God. What is the law, therefore, is to lead us to the, to the, to the end of ourselves. Uh, where we understand that we may 613 laws. And you might keep 612 of them. But you're gonna break one of them because it's your nature to break one of them and you can't keep from breaking one of them. But if you break that one, the Bible tells us you're guilty of all of them. One little slip up and you're gone. So the, the, the law was there to show us how holy a holy God we serve, but it was to bring us to the end of ourselves so we understand, God, I've got to have help, and I can't do it by myself. I want to be with you because there's something deep down inside of me that keeps telling me I'm not right, and I want to be right, and I can't get right, and I need someone to make me right. How do I do that? I come to Christ. Christ. It's the end of me. It's the beginning of God. So you get into the Word of God so you can discover who you are supposed to be. Because when you begin to know Jesus, you'll begin to understand who the Father is. And Once you understand who Jesus is and who the Father is, you can start to understand who you are supposed to be. i got a two-minute story, one that I share in the light for the lost when I travel. There was a missionary that goes into, I'm going to give you the very condensed version, a missionary that goes into a, an unreached people group in India. There was a gang of thugs that showed up, and they wanted to disrupt the entire meeting. They came with their bottles, their chains, their sticks, and they were going to do whatever they could to disrupt this meeting. Only when they got there, the Jesus film was showing, and whenever they're watching the Jesus film, they got so captivated by Jesus that they stopped and they watched. Now, they not only watched, the gang leader was the first one to the altar. He gets saved and then gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. In the Life of Lost Banquet we had last night, it provides all the materials, So it provided the Jesus film, it provided the invite, it provided all of that. But what it also provided was a Bible, so they give the man a Bible. Tell him to start reading in the New Testament. He started reading about Jesus every day. What is Jesus doing? He's healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils well, and you're in a demonized community, and there's everybody around you demonized. Then, demonized, then, then what do you do? You do what Jesus did. How do you know what to do what Jesus did? Well, I read in the book, and that's what he did, and that's what his disciples did. So he starts doing it. He casts the devil out of one, and another, and another, and there's a postcard I have. It's got all five of them on the front of that. Every one of them, where the devil was cast out of them, they accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they didn't stop there. They started proclaiming the Word of God, and they started doing what the book told them they could do instead of what they couldn't do my God church it's time we get away from the cannots and we start looking what can I do but you are not going to know that unless you get in the book so what were they doing and why did Jesus make this statement I've come to declare I've come to exegete I've come to show you who the father is because your primary purpose on earth Is to be an imager. Be an imager. What's why am I going over and doing the youth on Wednesday night starting in November? It's because we have entire generation that have been told that they're one thing that they're not. I believe it's time the church stands up and starts bearing the image of Christ. And starts declaring to this generation, not just the declarations we're making over ourselves, but we're declaring that over the youth to say, look, you've been led astray. and you've been, you've, been, you've been drinking the wrong Kool-Aid. This is not what you need. This is not who you are. You are who God says you are. And it's okay to be that because that's the way God made you to be. Amen? But see, on the same hand, church, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are the very apple of God's eye. He loves you. He adores you. Let me say to you tonight, you can can die an unbeliever, but you cannot die unloved. God loves you. That's not the question that we have of the hour. It's not whether or not God loves us, it's whether or not we love Him. But once you open your heart up at the death, at the mercy seat, and your heart is opened up, now the Holy Spirit has access into your heart, and he brings the love of the Father. Oh, you've been talking about me and about my son. Let me just bring him on into your heart, and I'm not just going to give you a dab because a dab won't do you. I'm going to give you a flowing resource. I'm going to give you a floodgate of my glory. I'm going to let my love flow in you, and it's going to flow through you. Because you're an imager. An imager of God. To walk in fellowship, to know what he knows, to feel what he feels, to to share life with God. So the book. The book. The book. One more story and I'm moving on. I was thinking about Brian in Scotland. Not our Brian, another Brian Scott. Scotland. Brian was hooked on heroin. It was a drug of, drug of choice. And he came and they were trying to step him down. And so they gave him some alternate drug to get him off the, no detox. He was detoxing in church. <laughs> he grabbed me one Sunday morning as he came in from one of the outreach we did in the country of Scotland where we were ministering. And he came up to me and he said, can you help me? And I said, No. But I know the one that can. And so we prayed with Brian. Brian came and he just, he was shaking violently all over. He'd come to Bible study and he would just, he would shake all the way around. The, he would just literally just shake and for, for week after week. And I just kept telling him, Brian, take the Bible, read as much as you can. Take the Bible, read as much as you can. Take the Bible, read as much as you can. Well, there's a few days later and a few weeks later, Brian comes up to me and he says, Preacher, come here. I said, yeah. He said, I've been reading this book. I said, yeah. He he wasn't shaking anymore. He said, "Do you know what it says about me?" <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's good, <laughs> I said, "No, but somebody told me it was good book." <laughs> <laughs> Immatures. Aaron's rod that budded. Now the Bible tells us, as I've alluded to right now, there was a branch that was there. It was an almond branch. But Jesus says in John 15, he said, I am the vine. In other words, I'm the sap. I'm the one connected to the root. And let me tell you, folks, the fact is, we're, we're there's there's a root <laughs> and a vine that goes all the way back uh, to the very beginning, and for the beginning, uh, it is rooted in Jesus Christ. Amen. He's the vine that flows through Israel. We're grafted in, and now we flow as well because now we are we are part. We were wild olive branch, but now we've been grafted in. We're we're part of the family. Amen. Because the covenant uh, the covenant came through Israel, and so what we have here is we have a a, a situation where Jesus said, "I am the you." I am the vine, but you are the branches. (laughs) But see, a branch cannot bear fruit of itself. It cannot do it. It's absolutely impossible for a dead branch, unless it is connected to the root source, it is not going to produce. You break it off, it's going to wither, and it's going to wither quickly. But the Lord showed us there with Aaron's rod and a priesthood that comes from an area that is a a, a vine and a root that is not in the seen. It is in the unseen. And when we root ourselves in the unseen in Jesus Christ, now all of a sudden there is some fruit that comes out of our lives uh, of love, of joy of peace, of gentleness uh, those, those that fruit comes out it's not by works, you don't go to the spiritual super Walmart and start gathering them up and put it in your pocket uh, you got to be rooted in there it's fruit, not work you got to be rooted in Jesus Christ uh, and if you don't see the fruit then, then don't worry about going out and getting more fruit Just start worrying about sowing more seeds uh, and getting deeper in the root of God uh, and let the fruit Begin to come forth. It wasn't until I got a relationship with God that I actually wanted to go to church. It wasn't until I got rooted in God that I actually wanted to read my Bible. If you don't want to read, if you don't want to feed on the Word of God, you might be dead. And a lot of the church today is on life support. Hoping, wishing. There's no sadder statement to me that I have had with people that are advanced in age that have come through a theological system that did not give them assurance of their salvation. Card-carrying church members who've done things for the kingdom of God and hoping that they've done enough to make it in. My God, church, we got a salvation stronger than that because there's a sacrifice made that's stronger than that. There is a Holy Ghost resolve. There is a face set like a flint. There is an adhesive that will stick you on the rock. There is an assurance that you can have that you are saved. And it doesn't matter if it's hell or if it's the Antichrist you have to face. There is a strength that is grounded in what Jesus has done that can keep you through any storm. It can hold you through any, any turmoil. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. and he is real and there is a real God and a real salvation that you can have. Amen. So we've got the last uh, hold on you're a chosen generation a royal priesthood Who's this speaking about? A holy nation. His own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, the book is so we can know who he is and know who we are. Imagers of God. Not pretenders imagers. You don't don't earn your wings, eagles. You learn your wings. If you're born again, it's in you to do that. You don't have to tell an eagle it needs to fly. It might need a little encouragement from mama to get out of the nest. Little baby Huey's got to get on out there so he can do what he's supposed to do. Quit living on puke mouth. But (laughs) But see, the priest, see, Jesus is not only the high priest. I want you to get this. He, he's the high priest that lives in your heart. See, they wanted to bypass the plan that God had of a priesthood separate from the tribes. Because these are just going to be, Levi's just going to be a, 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 a foreshadowing. I'm telling this beautiful story, and I'm just giving you a little foreshadowing moment. Music fades, and it's like, pause, Levi, foreshadowing. Do you see it? Aaron's that budded. It's a foreshadowing. What of a priesthood God would pull out? It's not so he could exclude people, so that he can include the priesthood. Your purpose is not just to go to heaven. Your purpose is not just to escape the damnation of this world. If your only purpose was to go to heaven, then with an altar of repentance, we should have a glass of cyanide. You repeat after me, and now you drink this. I'll see you when you get there. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to further Eden on the earth. People are scrambling around trying to figure out what am I here for? What am I here for? Had a man with an angry spirit stand in that foyer after an Easter Sunday morning and he said, Preacher, you can't tell me why I'm here. I said, I can tell you exactly why you're supposed to be here. He said, Why am I here then? I said, To know him and to make him known. That's it to know who God is, and to make him known in the world. Start with your family. Amen? So there's a priesthood. You've been given this ministry. A priest is a mediator between the lost and the saved. A priest is the go-between. A priest is the one that takes on the responsibility and they are the mediator. I love it in the word of God, where they they, they got the they got the wall built. Was it Ezra or Nehemiah? That they built the wall and all of a sudden they began to read. They began to, it was the wall, they began to read the Torah, they began to read the word, and the people began to weep, and others were beginning to rejoice. And you couldn't tell from the weeping and the rejoicing what was happening. It was because they were so heartbroken from how far they had come. Oh, my God, bring a repentance on the church, on the church first. Let it begin here in the house of God where we see how far we have fallen from the image of God and how far we have fallen from the purpose of God. It's not just to punch a card, a time card, or draw a wage, or make it to retirement, or ensure that my 501 or my 403 or whatever I've got, or my CDs or my IRAs or whatever I have makes it to maturity. I want to get to maturity long before that does I want to be a mediator I want to be a reconciler I want to say you are lost but my God has found you come on out of that place I got six minutes to get to the youth they can wait See God designed you with a purpose. He designed you and he bankrolled you. I'm trying to think of that thing that those business entrepreneurs go to and they they get the seed money to start a business. Crowdfunding. Yeah. Shark Tank you I like to watch the leadership dynamics of that sometimes and <laughs> innovative ideas, but um, so see you don't have to go to a crowdfunding. You're bankrolled; it's already paid for. Think about lock, stock, and barrel. I can't heal the soul; I've never healed anybody, but I have access to heaven. And I have access. Heaven has access to earth. See, bankrupt, the heaven's not, saying so, oh my God, he's praying again. What are we going to do? <laughs> Michael, he is your namesake. Do something. <laughs> I don't know. What are we going to do? Get somebody. You know what's happening in heaven? The Father and the Son are sitting on the throne and they're just saying, oh my Look at my children, look at my children look at my children. Oh, they don't know how much it pleases me that they believe in me and my sacrifice. So let's do this. Let's go ahead and grant that. Why? Because they know it's not them. They know it's me. And all I'm looking for is a little bit of access on earth. Amen? Oh, look at that person who finally came to the end of themselves. Oh, they, they're they tired of listening to the fact that, the, that God doesn't want them. Those lies of the devil and now they come to God and the Lord says, oh, yes! They took that little measure of faith and they put it in me and not themselves. And now I'm going to deliver Deliver them and set them free. You got time for just a little bit? Oh, Jesus. Got the book. Got the branch. And I say the best for last the bread. It's golden pot of manna. Jesus said, I am the bread. The bread, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So, they get out of Egypt in bondage, and they're making their way across the desert. Three days in, and they're whining and complaining. I know that's never afflicted you, but anyway, it just happens. So, They get out there, and the Lord says, okay, well, the dew will come down, and it will lift, and they go out and gather this stuff that looks like coriander seed, and they they eat what they want. See, but the fact was, God already had a plan before they ever got out there. You ever go on a trip with your kids and forget to feed them? No. (laughs) No. No. You plan the trip out. (laughs) You plan the pea stops because you, know, you you make preparation as to as to what's needed for that trip. The, God already had a trip planned, and so they, they got out there and and they God knew that they would starve to death. There's nothing out there. It's the wilderness. There's not enough of anything to feed anybody. So they're out there, and as they're they're out there every day without fail, first day to the sixth day, there's always something out there, but on the sixth day, there's always twice as much because God wanted us to learn the lesson of rest I won't get into. But see, they were going to die without that provision. Jesus said, that provision, I'm declaring to you, the spiritual fulfillment and the eternal fulfillment of that is that people will die without me. I am the bread of life. So there was a supernatural occurrence that took place every day for six days. And we understand that 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 supernatural occurrence was Jesus when he came. And we understand that there is no life without him. So with the book, we're imagers. With the priesthood, we are mediators. Jesus says this. Make sure I got the right verse. John 6 and 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. unknown to the earth ecological systems was a supernatural daily occurrence where in the middle of nothing there was the dew It settled then it lifted and what was left was manna. See when Jesus is making the spiritual understanding to the crowd, they said, You don't have any life without me. I am all life and all life is connected in and through me. And the Father loved you so much that he sent me down. And I rose again. See, there's a reason why there was no more need for sacrifice for atonement. Because for 1500 years they sacrificed, and every sacrifice they made stayed dead. Death was the declaration that the satisfaction of the redemptive price was not made. You're dead. Stay dead. And there's no man on earth that could be good enough because if we failed in one point, we failed in it all. So the dead remained dead. And if they came back to life, they died again. Until the satisfaction to the sin debt was paid... How do we know it was satisfied? Because he died once, he was buried once, and he rose again one time, and he's never going to die again. <clears throat> so he has his disciples there, and he's breaking bread with them. And it's kind of reminiscent of a couple occurrences that took place. Where this people gathered out in this deserted place. There's nothing to eat. And they bring the bread to Jesus. He blesses it, He breaks it. He didn't feed them, He gives it back to the disciples. Now they go feed the crowd. Now they're sitting here in the final hours of Christ's moments in that present state. By that time tomorrow, he's going to be in the grave. But he said, Guys, come here. This is a new covenant. There's an end to the old sacrificial system because there's a satisfaction with the new sacrifice system. So he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said to eat. We're supposed to connect those two. See, because Jesus made this declaration, this is my body broken for you. Do what you did to feed the crowd. This is my body broken for you. See, we're imagers. We take on intercessory prayer. We, we are mediators with the priesthood that's living on the inside. But church, we got a message. We are messengers. And the message is the sacrifice has been satisfied through Jesus Christ. And now that same resurrected sacrifice can live on the inside of you. And now you are a living sacrifice for God. Oh, now you're walking around with this resurrected spirit on the inside of you. How did that resurrected spirit get on the inside of you? It got on inside of you. When the- but before I do, before I do, you're in this house tonight. Maybe you didn't understand everything I said tonight. That's okay. But the part I want you to understand is that God loves you. And you can leave this world unbelieving. But you can't leave this world unloved. I'm not questioning the fact that the turmoil that you may have gone through or what you might have experienced in your life and your childhood or what you're going through right now. I know it's real. I know firsthand it's real. But what I also know That there's something about a surrendered life to God. Where he even takes the trash. He takes all the stuff that I never wanted to talk about. I know what the shame that I wore for so many years, and he takes all of that. And he sets me free. Just like he wants to set you free. There's only one thing stronger than cravings. It's the Christ who died on the cross. There's only one thing stronger than shame. It is the acceptance of God. It's only one thing stronger than the spirit of rejection. It's the spirit of resurrection living inside of our heart. Yeah. Bow your heads, if you will. I'm going to ask you not to rush you, but i got to get next door. But if you're in this house tonight and you are living in a place that you're just so sick and tired of living in that place and you know that tonight is your night, to believe Take that measure of faith God has given you and apply it to him tonight. And let the Lord set you free. That you stop being a source of your salvation, your happiness, and your joy. And you enter into a relationship with a living God. If that's you tonight, I want to meet you right here in this altar. I'm not, to, I'm not going to belabor this. If that's you, come down here right now. I want to pray with you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yes, on. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.